A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program today. Yes, yeah, first time we've had a chance to talk since the uh, House narrowly passed its ban on so-called assault weapons on uh, Friday evening, right? So, I listen... This bill is likely going nowhere in the Senate, uh, but I don't think that gun owners can be too cocky about what happened on Friday. Uh, The Democratic Party doubling down on its insistence that it can ban one of the most commonly owned, one of the most popular rifles sold in the United States. Uh, Despite the fact that uh, we've already had federal judges put uh, local so-called Sullivan bans on hold, Uh, Because of the Bruin decision, despite the language of the Supreme Court's decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which would clearly call into question the constitutionality of these gun bans. None of that matters to the uh, Democrats in the House. uh, Well, all but five of them uh, anyway, as well as uh, uh, two Republicans who voted in favor of the ban. You had five uh, Democrats voting against that ban. Ultimately, it passed with uh, one vote to spare, right? 217 votes in favor. It takes 216 right now uh, to pass the bill. And uh, Democrats are able to get it done. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly concerned about the bill uh, getting to Joe Biden's desk. What I am concerned about Uh, Are Democrats continuing to insist that our right to keep and bear arms is not a real right and continuing to argue that the best way to reduce violent crime, uh, including the, you know, infrequent number of active shooter incidents is to target legal law abiding gun owners and our right to keep and bear arms. This is, again, something that Democrats are doubling down on. In the wake of the Bruin decision and uh, gun owners, we have got to be active. We've got to be engaged. Uh, and frankly, we need to be talking about uh, just how bad an idea this gun ban is, not only in terms of the unconstitutionality of it, but the fact that this won't stop the very incidents that Democrats are, are, are using this legislation uh, as a talking point for, right? Uh, if, if, remember, if we, if, we, if we ban these guns, then we can stop these types of horrific attacks. If you don't support banning these guns, well, you must be in favor of murdering school children. I mean, that's the argument that we heard from Democrats on Friday afternoon. Uh, and we've got to push back and say, listen, your ban isn't going to do anything to make anybody any safer. If somebody is committed to the idea of slaughtering innocents, Well, first of all, the 24 million so-called assault weapons that uh, are still out there on the streets, right? They could always get access to those. But more importantly, they could also use a handgun or a shotgun, which aren't covered under the so-called assault weapons ban. There is no way to ban our way to safety here. We've got to start looking again at the fact that in almost every one of these cases, There were red flags. There were opportunities to intervene that were not taken. We've got to do a much better job of identifying these individuals beforehand. Again, the evidence is often there and ensuring that they either get the mental health treatment that they need or that the criminal justice system steps in as soon as appropriate. And again, in too many of these cases, what we've seen is a failure to act 
not only in the hallway outside of a classroom at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, but an inability or an unwillingness to act in the weeks or months before an active shooter walked onto a, a school campus or into a grocery store and opened fire. Now, we're going to be talking on the show today with uh, Jim Wallace, head of the Gun Owners Action League in Massachusetts. The uh, Massachusetts legislature just wrapping up its legislative session, and uh, uh, gun control was sort of slipped in at the last minute, or at least there was an attempt to slip uh, gun control legislation in at the last minute. Let's get an update from Jim Wallace about where things stand right now uh, in, as he uh, calls it, the Second Amendment battleground state of Massachusetts. Jim, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's great talking with you today. Hey, as always, welcome back to the Second Amendment battleground state, right? So, yeah, and, and it is definitely a battleground. So did the legislature adjourn? Uh, are they done for a few months? I think right now they're walking zombies because apparently they pulled almost a 24-hour session the last day. Uh, of course, according to the Constitution, they're supposed to stop at midnight Sunday. Um, but from what I was told, they were there till at least 7.30 this morning still voting. So... You know, they suspend rules that are inconvenient to them all the time. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, for thee, not for me. Right. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. do we know what kind of damage has been done uh, to to gun owners in the Second Amendment uh, over the well, past couple of days? What we understand. And of course, the history of this is, uh, gosh, a week and a half ago, it was a Thursday uh, with no warning, not even a, a courtesy of a phone call. The uh, the house stuffed gun language in as an amendment to uh, a judiciary technology bond bill. (laughs) And because they stuffed it in as an amendment, it didn't have to have a hearing. So uh, the only way I found out was a reporter called me from the Herald and say, hey, Jim, what are your thoughts on this? And I'm like, on what? So (laughs) I was doing accounting work at the the goal office. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you better make some phone calls. Well, it was weird because we started calling legislators. They didn't know either. So the more people we called, they were like, Jim, what are you talking about? There's nothing going on today. Yeah, well, apparently there is. So we found it. It was Amendment Number 13 of all numbers uh, (laughs) to the bill. And um, it would have cut our license time from six years to three years, mandated in-person interviews, even for renewals, uh, did take out any mention of restrictions and discretion. But they replaced discretion with suitability. So, you know, it's like the shell game. Yeah, you know, oh, no, we removed that. And then you replaced it with something that's exactly the same thing. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't give you ketchup. I gave you katsu. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but the um, the other thing that was still in there was a harassment order, which is a lower level of a protection order. Okay. And they can be serious. I understand harassment orders can be serious, uh, but they can also be a Karen next door that hates you and just complains about you all the time. So that's probably going to have to be something that's run up through the litigation chain at some point just to test it. Just just like the protection orders were many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as suitability in their eyes, they tightened up the language by using there's three terms now it's reliable articulable and confirmable or something like that uh evidence that you would be a threat to public safety 
the problem is, in my eyes, under Bruin, that's subjective. And they were very clear, you cannot have subjective disqualifications. It has to be a standard for everyone who applies. And once you leave it up to somebody's discretion, oh, sorry, suitability. Uh, <laughs> they, you, I mean, who knows? Yeah, so, because... Yeah. Well, I, I, I just want to make sure I'm, I understand this correctly. So they've got these suitability standards that they say are based on, again, like you say, credible, articulable evidence, but but all of those are are subjective standards, right? So what, what one chief may see as credible, another chief may see as there's no evidence here whatsoever. Right. And, um, okay. you know, it could be that, you know, hey, you know, well, you hang out with this person and we know this person has done this and you know, the only thing we're we're hoping with this, of course, that again, too, I think, because uh, what kills me is Kavanaugh kind of opened the door for suitability, um, mm -hmm. concurring opinion. And that's what they're hanging their hat on. So I think that's something, again, that's going to have to go through the litigation chain with the right person and the right circumstances. Um, as a, as always, Cam, our fear is that some ambulance chaser will find a guy who beat up his kid or something and, oh, I'll take your case to court. Sure. And then you end up with bad case law. So, um, but the, uh, the suitability standard, I think will have to be litigated up through the chain. The other thing is we're hoping and we're working with attorneys because this is different and the courts have to recognize it is different. Will this actually create a system of appeals where the rules of evidence apply? Because right now, the chiefs don't have to give you any evidence. You go to court, mm -hmm. you have to prove you're suitable. So will this change the way it should have been in the first place, where the burden is on the state to prove their case, and they have to provide your attorney with the evidence? And once they get in the court, they can't change that. It has to be what, what they gave you. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's interesting, too, because, I mean, again, if we're talking about a, a right, as we are, um, then to me, the presumption is you start with that right. Yeah. You are presumed to to have access to that right, whether it's your freedom of speech or, or, or your right to keep and bear arms. Um, and it, you're right. It should the standard should be on the state to prove that you are somehow disqualified from exercising that right. Not that the burden is on you to prove that you are able uh, yeah. to exercise your Second Indeed. Amendment rights. It's further complicated, too, by a U.S. Supreme Court, I forget, eight years ago, something like that, called Logan, where they actually, and I'd rather drill a spoon through my head to reread that thing, in, in a really contorted opinion, they separated access to the license from uh, your rights being attacked. And they said, just because you can't access a license does you still have your rights? You just can't access your license. And the and the final ruling was, because they didn't revoke your rights, they just rejected your access to the license. You can't restore a right that was never revoked. So, chew on that one for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, okay. Um, well, if you need the license in order to exercise your rights by revoking the license, it seems like yeah. you've been stripped of your rights. But uh, okay, well, like your husband, you know, look, your, uh, your wife said. You know, you, you, you can sleep in your bed, but you can't come in the house. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Well, as you say, that was that, that that decision is now eight years old, and maybe it is a a new day on the Supreme Court. Um, yeah. But you know, in, in the meantime, I mean, it sure seems like the lawmakers in, in Massachusetts, from Governor Baker on down, uh, have have responded to the Supreme Court decision. It seems to me by you know taking steps to obey the letter of the law in terms of dropping the shall issue language, but. I mean, it really seems like they're thumbing the nose of the court when it comes to the spirit of oh, the law. Absolutely. Matter of fact, and I was not shy about this. I've said this to a lot of journalists. When that decision came down, uh, the, the reaction, not not just from Mass, but of course, you've seen it in New York, California, Jersey, whatever. You know, I, I said, I have never seen in my lifetime so many people who identify as progressives that ran to the microphones to emulate Governor Wallace of Alabama after Brown v. Board of Education. I'm not shy Mm -hmm. about saying that at all, because that's exactly what they did. You know, a handful of states who refused to recognize and continue on their bigoted path against the 2A community, not my state, not my state, this will not happen in my state. Tell me I'm I'm wrong. I mean, nobody has. So it's it's just it's very sad. Listen, I'm I'm with you. I mean, you know, I live outside of Farmville, Virginia. A lot of people don't know this, but back during Brown versus Board of Education, the majority of the individual plaintiffs actually were residents of Prince Edward County, Virginia, where Farmville is located. And Jim, like you, man, I've had that same reaction where you've got people who are, in essence, standing in the, you know, the door of the courthouse. Uh, saying you shall not pass, you shall not get your concealed carry license, you shall not exercise your right. We refuse to treat this as a right. Um, and you know, and and you're right. It's a handful of states that are doing this. Um, unfortunately, there are tens of millions of people who live in these states who, frankly, are are still, I think, being deprived of their constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms. So, so what do you think the next step is for the Gun Owners Action League in Massachusetts uh, after you know all of these new restrictions have been imposed? Well, it looks like the Senate um, uh, uh, didn't get to finish that part. Sorry, the Senate pulled out uh, the license, basically being cut in half to three years, and they pulled out the uh, the in person interviews. Uh, we found out <laughs> when we were looking into this. They didn't even consult the chiefs and the chiefs were angry as you know what, because they said, we can't even handle the system we got now. Now you're going to double our workload on this stuff. And what's with the in-person interviews? Why? If there's, if you cannot use discretion anymore, what would be the purpose of an interview? And even in the attorney general's letter to the chiefs, she said, oh, you can still ask why they want the license. You just can't use it against it. Well, if you can't use it, then why are you asking? Yeah. Right. So, but even at like city like Lowell, they make you write an essay about why you want a license. So it's, you know, all of that stuff has to go. So at least the most egregious stuff is out, you know, the suitability and the harassment. We knew going in that that's going to have to be something that's carefully litigated. So, mm-hmm. um, but still real happy. Uh, with the with the response we got from our members, you know, it's late July. People are on vacation. They're not thinking about politics yeah. anymore. And all of a sudden, we had to go into you know supersonic mode in, in the last few days. And a lot of and there were a good number of legislators that um, uh, that really worked with us. Uh, and the other thing, frankly, what I guess 
made the Senate president angry was the day the House did that, they put out a release. The speaker said, oh, this was all agreed upon by the Senate president, the governor, the attorney general. And she came out and said, I said I would work with you. I never agreed to any language, and I certainly didn't agree to put it into a bond bill. So it's like, hmm, you know, she's never been an ally, but whatever, right? So yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, the other thing we have to be concerned about is they did tell us that next year, which will be a brand new legislative session, they're going to work on a much bigger omnibus uh, gun bill. So. And I said, well, that's funny. So will we. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Right. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, and I know that you guys are going to be, uh, uh, again, looking for those opportunities to pursue litigation that, uh, on the strongest, uh, ground possible. I, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, Jim, just out of curiosity, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but, um, for instance, we saw in Maryland, like in the three weeks after the Bruin decision came down, the number of concealed carry applications climbed by something like 1100% uh, in the state of Maryland, because now it's, you know, yeah. theoretically shall issue. Right. Do, do you know, have you talked to anybody, are, are, are police departments across Massachusetts, are they seeing a surge in applications from people who now believe like they've got a fair shot at getting a concealed carry license I, in some of these jurisdictions where it's been basically off limits? I, I haven't heard that yet. I think people were kind of waiting. Uh, the biggest thing we were hearing is, is my can I carry on my restricted license now? Um, and what was happening was, because <laughs> we're awful cautious about giving out legal advice in mass. Sure. Uh, we said, listen, folks, we can't answer that yet. Because one of our concerns was, even though technically it can't be upheld, you know, if it got to court, Mm -hmm. But could a chief and the AG say, well, you knew you had a restricted license. You carried, so now you're unsuitable. So there's always that end game that you have to worry about. And yeah. so we were very cautious. But uh, the uh, Executive Office of Public Safety did post a Q&A. It it's funny how they word things, right? Because they don't want to encourage people to carry. Uh, they actually said it's just the restrictions are unenforceable. They didn't say you could. They just said it's unenforceable. So it's, you know, I always look at that and go, yeah, all right. I do this for a living too, brother. So, you know, it's like, so, you know, we're always cautious. Now, some towns uh, have been good and said, you know what? Don't even call us. We're going to get into the system, change all of the licenses and reissue them if you have a restricted license. What we were upset about is the state could have done that at a moment's notice. They have yeah. the data. And I was told point blank, well, we don't have the authority to do that because it's not a state license. <clears throat> what? <laughs> it's not a state license. <laughs> the one that says Commonwealth of Mass right on it isn't a state license. Right. So, no, they have to defer to the chiefs. And I'm like, Ugh, really? Okay. Even after Bruin, you're still pulling this. Um, yeah. So some chiefs are just saying, write us a letter, you know, just asking to remove restrictions. We'll do it for you. Uh, others are still asking for, well, tell us why, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's not going to fly. You know, it's mm -hmm. not. So, but yeah. You know. And so if, if folks do run across this, I mean, there's a Massachusetts gun owner out there who's, who's watching and says, yeah, I'm, I'm running into that rigmarole. Should they contact the gun owners actually? Should they let yeah, you guys know uh, what's going on? 
Yeah, and we're also working closely with Com2A. I think you know those those guys, mm-hmm. Com2A. They're the litigation group, um, and we work closely with them. Uh, if they find a good case, we'll support it. Uh, it's one of the things, Cam, that we face all the time is get people on social media screaming, Gold wouldn't take my case. We've never taken a case. So why would we take – we're not a litigation group. And as you know, that's a specialty. You know, we're yeah. an advocacy and training group, but litigation – that's something you really have to be an expert in, and it's just not something Goal has done. We've certainly supported a lot of cases and, and briefs and all kinds of stuff, you know, financially and otherwise, but it's, it'd be extraordinarily rare if we actually took a case on our own without the help of, you know, could be Comp2A, NRA, SAF, whatever, um, mm-hmm. you know, because they're the experts in litigation, we're not. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting. Next couple of years, I think. And, and, you know, even after Bruin was decided, we had all all of our friends and you saw it. We win. We finally win. And I said, no, now the work really begins. You know, absolutely. You're right. This was a listen. Bruin is a great decision. But uh, if anything, it is supercharged. Uh, the the debate over our right to keep and bear arms as we're seeing uh, play out in, in you know blue states like Massachusetts. Um, Jim, listen, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program, for all the work that you and the folks at Gun Owners Action League are doing. Uh, again, thank you very much. I look forward to having you back again because, as you say, there is always something going on in the Second Amendment <laughs> battleground state of Massachusetts. Yes, yeah, you can you, you can tell, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jim Wallace from the Gun Owners Action League. Thanks again for joining us here on Cam and Company. I appreciate Jim joining us on the program, uh, and we will be talking to him again in the not-too-distant future. Uh, Right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We're going to start there, actually, with a, a story out of California, where a former student at University of California, Irvine, uh, is facing prosecution over threats of a mass shooting. Now, here's what's fascinating about this, is that this individual, uh, 30-year-old, you know, I'm not even going to name the guy, but he's 30 years old. Uh, He was originally sentenced to three months and eight years in prison for, again, threatening to shoot up UC Irvine. But he was released early. Yeah, after doing just seven months He was released, and now apparently he is facing additional charges. Uh, The uh, 30-year-old was placed in a psychiatric hold in January of 2020. The uh, University of California Irvine Police Department initially suspected that he intended to engage in self-harm, but then found uh, statements threatening uh, violence against the uh, the community, Uh, quoting, for instance, the uh, Virginia Tech shooter. So they found uh, about 1,200 rounds of ammunition, uh, as well as an AR-style firearm in January of 2020. He was convicted in March of 2021 of possession of a firearm and ammunition, illegal possession of a firearm and ammunition. Again, sentenced to three years and eight months in prison in March of last year. But after serving just seven months, he was released in October of 2021. He was arrested again in January of this year. After allegedly letting his electronic ankle monitoring battery run out and then refusing to attend a mandated visit with a probation officer that led to a uh, second search warrant 
uh, which also led to receipts for additional ammunition purchases, as well as a five large capacity magazines, quote unquote, large capacity, 10 plus rounds, uh, which were bought in uh, Arizona. It's unclear whether those were bought before or after his conviction, which should have prohibited him from being able to lawfully purchase firearms or ammunition anywhere. Uh, in the country, although, again, in uh, most states, uh, ammunition purchases don't go through background checks, but certainly the purchase of a, a firearm uh, uh, would have uh, been uh, flagged had he done so uh, at retail. Uh, despite all of that, he was again released in February, <laughs> even after they discovered ammunition in his uh, mother's uh, storage locker in Anaheim, California. Uh, he was arrested again in early March after failing to report to a probation officer. The Orange County DA, Todd Spitzer, said in a press release at the time, quote, this is someone who has repeatedly threatened to shoot up a college campus and has the weaponry and ammo to do it, and I'm mad as hell that the state legislature refuses to give me the tools to put him behind bars where he belongs for a very long time. When someone shows us who they are and what they're capable of doing, we have to believe them and do something about it. Well, he's now scheduled to go to trial on his latest charges uh, tomorrow. But again, given the soft on crime policies in California, I have a sneaky suspicion that even if he is convicted, this 30-year-old suspect may very well soon be out on the streets once again. Today's armed citizen story from Beaumont, Texas, where a a store clerk uh, shot a suspect who attacked her during a robbery over the weekend. The uh, suspect in this case, a 62-year-old man, uh, who uh, apparently tried to rob the store around 1130 Friday night. William Coleman allegedly walked in armed with a knife. The uh, store clerk called 911, reported a robbery in progress. As officers were on their way to the store, the clerk told police that uh, she had shot the robber after he displayed a knife and attacked her. When police arrived, they found the suspect there wounded. Paramedics transported him to a local hospital with serious injuries. Detectives say that they now have an aggravated robbery arrest warrant. For the uh, 62-year-old man, uh, William Coleman, uh, once he's released from the hospital, he will be taken into custody and uh, taken to the county jail. The uh, store clerk suffered minor injuries during the attack, uh, but thankfully was not seriously injured again because she was able to protect herself. Coleman has had his bond set at $250,000 on the aggravated robbery charge. The investigation continues, but again, it is uh, not anticipated that the uh, convenience store clerk there will be facing any charges whatsoever after acting in self-defense. Finally today, our good deed of the day, Colorado Springs, Colorado, where a good Samaritan in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing for a stranger who had been stabbed. Uh, This also happened uh, over the weekend. It was late Saturday night when the uh, good Samaritan said he ran across a guy who was running his way and and screaming for help. The uh, good Samaritan uh, said the guy said that someone was trying to kill him, and the uh, Good Samaritan did catch a glimpse of another person kind of running towards them. So the uh, Good Samaritan said he put the man in his vehicle, called 911, met police a few blocks away. Uh, police have confirmed that a bystander did step in to help the victim. They said that person was able to drive the victim out of the area to get him to a safe location. Um, and uh, Sergeant Bethany Orton says the Good Samaritan did the right thing by getting the person in danger out of the area. She said, quote, I think it happens more often than people would expect. Uh, I would say on a daily basis, we have a citizen who is able to help someone who has been the victim of a crime. 
Uh, she said, by the way, there are going to be times when you feel obligated to step in. And in doing so, we just ask that you do so as safely as possible. Best thing to do is to get whoever's being assaulted or like a victim of a crime away from the area. The uh, stabbing victim transported to the hospital with serious injuries at last report is stable. Uh, no word on any arrests, but again, that uh, Good Samaritan. And I can't help but wonder if that Good Samaritan felt a little bit more comfortable acting. We don't know whether or not this person was armed or not, but uh, I, I just can't help but wonder if that person may very well have been lawfully carrying a firearm and therefore felt a little bit more comfortable uh, inviting a stranger into their car uh, even if they had been stabbed at that point, knowing that they could protect themselves, either if the victim decided to attack them or if the guy that was coming after them actually uh, reached that vehicle. Either way, again, glad that uh, that good Samaritan who has not been identified was in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, we will be back tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. But I also encourage you to check out BearingArms.com throughout today. We've got you covered there as well. If you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber. Just use the promo code GUNRIGHTS when you go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. And not only will you be supporting the independent pro-Second Amendment reporting that we do at Bearing Arms, but we're going to give you exclusive content that you won't get anywhere else. News stories, analysis, stuff that you need to know. And we're happy to do it because your support does make a difference, and it really does matter. Have a great rest of your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. By the way, happy 25th anniversary to my lovely bride, Miss E. Not that she be uh, watching. Well, actually, I take that back. She does try to tune in whenever she can. So, happy anniversary, baby. All right, to everyone else, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>